Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2015. This is David and Chris talking about Step 4. Hi, my name's David, I'm an alcoholic. <coughs> Hi David. And uh, this is Chris. Hi, I'm Chris, alcoholic. Hi Chris. My home group is the Working With Others group, uh, group here in Heidelberg. We meet here on a Friday night, twice on a Friday night, 7.30 and 10pm every Friday come along. I love being part of a really active group. You know, we're not, not just running, holding a meeting once a week. We're really active and getting involved with this stuff and, and the local rehabs and the, talking at, uh, at um, uh, drink driving courses and stuff like that. And I absolutely love this home group. Um, today we're talking about, this, this afternoon we're talking about step four. And uh, uh, just to, something that came to me before is that uh, in 2005, there's a bunch of people happened to be at a meeting out at, at, at Dandenong and I was there and Chris was there and, and some other people from various steps groups around Melbourne happened to be at this Saturday morning uh, a, a beginner's meeting, beginner's big book meeting at, at Dandenong at the time and we had a really great meeting and afterwards a few of us were sitting around and sort of saying what, what a great meeting that was, wouldn't it be great to be able to put it on a whole weekend and just talk about the steps? And uh, we all agreed with that. And then I said, Yo, wouldn't it be great if we had a really good venue, maybe in the city? And another member happened to be standing there and he said, oh, I've got a venue in the city. Uh, it had a, a catering college up the top end of Elizabeth Street. So that was in the January. And by, by May that year, 2005, we had the Melbourne AA Steps re- weekend running. And it was an ma- absolutely amazing thing. It ran for five years. And uh, the first year we did it, there was a, a guy from the Triangle Group who, um, and the Triangle Group is, doesn't run anymore, but it used to be a group that, that um, ran these presentations every week at their home group, and, they, and uh, they did this presentation about the fourth step. And one of the Triangle Group members got up in this, uh, the, the very first uh, Melbourne AA Steps weekend and, and showed how to do a fourth step on a whiteboard. And that was really fantastic. It went across really well. But then the following year, we had to get a bigger venue because the, that catering college didn't, you know, didn't uh, hold that many, so we got a much bigger venue which, which had all the audio-visual stuff. So it, we went, well, now we've got the audio-visual stuff, we can make, instead of doing it on a whiteboard, we can use some modern technology. And that's where this presentation started, actually, that, at that second Melbourne AA Steps weekend. So this is, you know, this is the same one, really, but sort of expanded out, and we're going to talk about this first step. Because just to recap quickly, that first step, that fourth step we're going to talk about, the, the first step, we admit we're powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. And two aspects of that, we talked about it last night a lot, is that, that physical craving, I don't drink like other people. When I do it goes out of control. And then that other part, that mental obsession, so that even though I've made the same decision not to drink, I keep on going back and doing it again and again. No, no solution, no, there's no hope in that first step. The solution comes in the second step. where I, and For the second step, I needed an open mind. If everything that I've tried to do to stop drinking has failed, I need an open mind, open enough, to be listening to what's working for other people, even if even if people are suggesting something really radical, like a spiritual 12-step program. Nice thing about this is that I get to choose my own conception of what that higher power is. And this step for me comes from inspiration. I come to AA and I'm, I get inspired. I can see it working for other people. And then I get to this decision, the last meeting talked about this decision, where we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And to me, that's a decision to try and live by spiritual principles, my spiritual principles, whatever that is. But it's a decision to live life differently. 
Now, I don't know how to do that. I've never done it before. So I need to know, what do I do next? How do I start living a spiritual life? And fortunately for us, we've got this list of spiritual exercises and they're numbered uh, and put in order to make it easier for alcoholics like me. And uh, I've got this, once I've made that decision, I've got instructions on what to do next. So to me, that third step is a decision to go on with the rest of the program. And then I need to get into the, the next few steps immediately, you know, uh, these house cleaning steps. Uh, the first of which is this, 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 uh, this inventory, uh, which we're going to talk about now. But where I really want to get to is those last three, because uh, yeah, then I can start living in the solution. And we'll talk about the rest of the weekend, it'll be about that. But tonight, today we're specifically talking about step four, taking that in inventory. So this is step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Now notice with that step three, it says, it says in the book, you know, when we take step three, an effect sometimes a great one is felt at once. But immediately after that, it says, this has little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to, to look at the things that have been blocking us from this spiritual way of life. It doesn't say after the third step, we'll go away and say the prayer again every morning for a month. It doesn't say that at all. In fact, it doesn't talk about daily prayer until I get down to, to uh, step 11. The immediate action after taking the, the third step is not the third step again and the third step again and the third step again. The immediate action is the fourth step, to get off my bum and do something. So Chris is going to read through... This is the section of the book that describes this four, how AA suggests we take a fourth step. Therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. This was step four. <clears throat> A business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. Taking commercial inventory is a fact-finding and fact-facing process. It is an effort to discover the truth about the stocking trade. One object is to disclose damaged or unsaleable goods, to get rid of them promptly and without regret. If the owner of the business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about values. We did exactly the same thing with our lives. We took stock honestly. First, we searched out the flaws in our makeup which caused our failure. Being convinced that self manifested in various ways was what had defeated us, we considered its common manifestations. So I'm suggesting this is a fact-finding and fact-facing process, an effort to discover the truth about ourselves. Think about me, you know, I'm an alcoholic. I'm really good at stopping drinking. I did it over and over and over again. But whenever I stopped drinking... Right? If I could stay stopped for, for, you know, I'd get medical help, do a detox, those types of things, do some meetings, you know, and I could stop for a little while. And whenever I stopped drinking, life would get better, certainly on the outside, right? Because I'm showing up to work on time. I'm not having to lie and cheat and, you know, and uh, those things. My health is improving. Things are getting better when I stop drinking. But at the same time, there's a whole lot of stuff, other stuff going on in my head because I'm not medicating a whole lot of other stuff. That... I start blaming other people for how I got to the situation I was in. There's fear about the future. How am I going to cope with the future without my best friend, the alcohol that I've just put down? And there's also a whole lot of guilt and remorse about the bridges I've burnt and the people I've hurt. Now, in that third step, I've just made this decision to live a spiritual life. And it's pretty hard for me to live a spiritual, sober life if my head is just full of all those things, all those negative things. Right? So... To me, that's what this step is about, is having a look at those things, those things that stand in my way of a spiritual path. So we'll keep going through. Resentment, 
Resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease, for we've been not only mentally and physically ill, we've been spiritually sick. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. So the first thing it suggests we look at is resentments. I think it's a great place to start. First of all, because as it says, this is the number one, uh, one number one offender. One of the biggest reasons for relapse is you know, I get an, I get a resentment against something. Uh, I get a resentment even against AA, and I stop going. Although I get a resentment, they're really dangerous. But also, I think it's a great place to start because it's a really easy place to start. These things come to mind really easily. Now, as we go through this, and Chris reads it out, you'll notice that most of it is highlighted in yellow. But in amongst it, we've highlighted certain sentences in blue. Now, these sentences we've highlighted really are statements about what we did. The rest of the ones in yellow are sort of why we need to do it and what to expect as we go through it. But these these certain sentences which are a statement... What's going on? Oh, go back. There are certain sentences which are a statement of what we did. So this, this is what the first 100 members are talking about. They describe how they take this step. And the first sentence like that is this one, in dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. So there's my first instruction. It was said to me, when I find a statement like that, this is what we did, then I should go ahead and do that thing before moving any further on. So what am I going to need? I'm going to need a piece of paper. So I start this fourth step with a piece of paper and a pen. Now, other things to remember, by the time I get to this point in the program, I've probably got a sponsor... If I haven't, good idea to get one at this point. At least someone who's been through this process and can give me guidance on how to, how, to do, how to take this inventory. The other thing to remember is that this is a spiritual exercise, as with each step. Each step is a spiritual exercise, and I can start this spiritual exercise with a prayer. It can be a simple prayer based on the step itself. God help me to be honest, fearless and thorough. So I'm sitting down, I've got my piece of paper and a pen... I've said the prayer, I've got the right attitude, I'm coming to this with the right attitude, I know I'm powerless, I've got some hope, I'm going to do something, this this radical thing, I'm going to take inventory. So what do I do next? We listed people, institutions or principles with whom we're angry. Well, this is pretty simple, isn't it? I'm going to make a list of people that I'm angry at. So think of the person in the world that, that you're most angry at. That person comes to mind really easily for most of us, especially early round. And I put that person's name down on the piece of paper. Once I've written down that first name, I've actually started my fourth step. I don't know what it is about, about us, but somehow we can balk and balk and balk. But the process is that is, the starting the process is that simple. I think of a name, someone I have a resentment against, and I write their name down. Now, at this point, I don't need to think too much more about that person or why I've written that person's name down. I can put that person out of my mind for the moment and think of another name. So I'm just making a list. So I put down, OK, I've got my employer, Mr Brown... Uh, Mrs Jones, my next door neighbour, uh, Jack from the pub gives me the shits. So I'm just writing down these names. It's a pretty simple thing to do. Just write, write down the names of people I've got resentments against. Um, I can think back through time and there's that old high school st- science teacher back when I was 16 embarrassed me in front of the class and I still remember that and how embarrassed I felt. So he can go down there. Uh, it can be people really close to me like my wife, uh, my sister-in-law... Uh, it mightn't be an individual person. I can have a resentment against a group of people, say the police or the taxation department. Right? It mightn't even be people at all. I can have a resentment against the principal. So I've got a resentment against speed limits. Now, everyone else should obey the speed limits. Pam, you should obey the speed, obey the speed, <laughs> speed limits. <laughs> right? But, but uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a really good driver and I'm often late 
and I don't like getting fines. So, you know, I've got this resentment against speed limits or I might have a resentment against tax laws or something like that. And I keep on thinking of these things, they come to mind and I write them down, my mother you know, are bad drivers. Now, for some people this is a very long list and for other people it's quite short. I know one lady whose whole list was eight people. These were the big resentments in her life. I, I know someone else who, after this presentation, said to me that he had 280 people on his list. This is someone who worked in lots of different places and hated everyone he met. In fact, he, he hated them before he even met them. Okay? That's, that's, you know, so, but that's one extreme. But you know, our, our list is our own list. Right? And I can't keep on adding to the list until I can't think of any more. I've got a problem with this. Keep on going off here. Okay. Until I can't, uh, until I can't think of any more. Uh, what I tend to suggest to uh, sponsees is start writing the list and just spend, you know, spend uh, say a, a couple of hours or writing that list, and then sleep on it over the night. Next morning, get up and say, "Is there anyone else need to go on that list? If there isn't, that's it. I've got my list." It's not a long process of writing down this list. Now I've got my list, right? So what do I need to do with it? We asked ourselves why we were angry. Okay, so now I'm going to have to go back through and look at each one of them. So I'm going to get an exercise book and I'm going to rule it up like this. So the first column being who I'm resentful at and the second column being the cause. And one by one I'm going to grab the names off here and put them into my exercise book. So it doesn't matter which order I do, it, do them in, as I just know that I've got to do them all. Sometimes it's easier to pick some of the older, less painful ones and do those, those first as a bit of an exercise. But, you know, as I said, it doesn't matter what order, I just have to do them all. So I grab one, say, I'll put down Mr Brown. Now, what's the cause? Why am I resentful of Mr Brown? Well, I don't like the way he pays attention to my wife. Uh, he told my wife about my mistress. That got me into lots of trouble. Uh, Brown may get my job at the office. And I just put down the facts. I'm not writing whole paragraphs. I'm not trying to analyse him or... or work out what, what I think that he thinks about me or anything like that. I'm just putting down the facts. What actions did he take that caused this resentment in the first place? Sometimes in my head it seems like three pages of stuff, but when it comes to writing it down, it's just three lines. Right? And I, Once I've got that down, I can cross that person off my original list and I can grab someone else. So Mrs Jones, she's a nut, she snubbed me, she committed her husband for drinking and he's my friend. Cross her off the list. Oh, no, she's the gossip as well. Cross her off the list. Some of them might be a bit longer than just a few lines. You know, someone, one of Chris's sponsees rang up and said, they were doing this, and she said, oh, I think my mother's got a whole page. Right? <laughs> but, but that's okay. But it's not, a, it's not like... I'm not writing paragraphs and analysing that other person's actions. I'm just putting down the facts. This is what that, that person did. So my employer, unreasonable, unjust, overbearing threatens to fire me for drinking and padding my expense account, uh, cross him off the list. Uh, my wife misunderstands and nags and likes Mr Brown and wants the house in her name. And I keep on going, crossing these names off my original list and putting them into my exercise book until they're all gone. If I, of course, if I've got 100, you know, 280, I'm going to need more than one exercise book. That's OK. They're 48 cents down at Coles. Okay. <laughs> Notice as we did, did this, we've left a whole lot of space over here on the right-hand side. We're going to need that later on. Sometimes I suggest when you open up your exercise book, put these two columns on one, one page and leave the facing page empty. Once I've got them all in there, I can throw that first piece of paper away. I don't need that anymore. And what do I need to do next? In most cases, it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, 
our personal relationships, including sex, were hurt or threatened. So we were sore, we were burned up. <clears throat> On our grudge list, we set opposite each name our injuries. Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal or sex relations, which had been interfered with? So the next thing it suggests we look at is how this other person's actions have affected me. And it's given us a bunch of key words to look for. Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal or sex relations which have been interfered with? In fact, in the other AA book, the 12 and 12, is the first two and a half pages of the, of the chapter about um, step four is really useful for understanding those things, these instincts that we all have that sometimes go out of whack. But that's what we're looking at. How, what part of me was affected by this other, other person's actions? So here's my new column, what, you know, how this affected me. So I look at each one. So Mr Brown, his attention to my wife, that's affected my sex relations with my wife and also my self-esteem because I'm worried she likes him better than she likes me. There's fear involved with that because I'm worried she might run off with him. Uh, he told my wife about the, uh, my mistress. Well, that's affected my sex relations. That's why I'm sleeping in the other room. Uh, it's affected my self-esteem. Um, Mr. Brown may get my job at the office. That's affected my security. That's money in my pocket. You know, if he gets my job, I might be demoted or even lose my job. So that's you know, uh, you know, money in my pocket, bricks and mortar type uh, security. And also my self-esteem, because I'm worried that the boss likes him better than he likes me. Mrs. Jones, oh, that's affected my personal relationship with her and maybe other people. And also my self-esteem. I don't like being snubbed by people. My employer, that's affected my self-esteem. And uh, part of our, and he's threatened to fire me, so that's affecting my security. And my wife, that's affected my pride, my personal and sex relations. And the part about wanting the house in her name is affecting my security. Now, this is a pretty simple process. I'm picking out one or more of those key words and applying it to each one of those. I think this, this column is really useful uh, to me is in that it starts to shift the focus. Right? The first two columns are about the other person and what they did. But in the end, I want this inventory to be about me. So this starts staying, taking the focus away from those other people and starts putting it on me. Uh, I should point out, at this point, we've got no new information. Now, this is stuff I already know. I know who it was that hurt me, I know what they did, and I know how much it hurt me. Um, I want to point out that it, uh, this example so far is straight out of the book, straight out of the big book on page <coughs> 65. Uh, this is not my personal inventory I'm putting up on a big screen in front of a whole lot of people. I don't know. Uh, right. this, this whole fourth step is a private thing. It's between me and a piece of paper and my higher power. Okay? So this, is, this fourth step is this fictitious guy out of the book. The book doesn't actually take the example any further than this. So from here on in, what I'm going to show you is sort of our best guess about what this guy might have put in the rest of his inventory as an example. Okay, so uh, we'll go on. We w <coughs> Excuse me. We went back through our lives. Nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. When we were finished, we considered it carefully. The first thing apparent was that this world and its people were often quite wrong. To conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. The usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us and we stayed sore. Sometimes it was remorse and then we were sore at ourselves. But the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. As in war, the victor only seemed to win. Our moments of triumph were short-lived. <clears throat> it is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to fertility and unhappiness. To the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile? 
but with the alcoholic whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found that it is fatal. For when harbouring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit, the insanity of alcohol returns and we drink again. And with us, to drink is to die. If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. The grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. They may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for alcoholics, these things are poison. So this is really pointing out how dangerous uh, resentments are to alcoholics. I mean, everyone, lots of people get resentments, and it says, you know, for, for anyone who's living a life of resentment, it leads to unhappiness and futility. That's for anybody. For, for an alcoholic like me, it can be fatal, because I get caught up in that resentment, and then I pick up a drink. Um, so what's a resentment? A resentment is when I think about someone, someone there is there in that first column, and what immediately comes to mind whenever I think of that person is the list of nasty things they did to me. It comes rushing back into my mind, and then I start re-feeling those hurts like when that, when that incident first happened. And that's what that third column is about, how that person's actions affected me. And my next thought is, well, this guy's a bastard, isn't he? Right? He did all those nasty things. There's that second column. That's a list of nasty things that comes rushing back through my mind. And I think to myself, you know, and I re-feel it. That's a resentment. I re-feel, re-feel that hurt. And then I think to myself, this guy's a bastard. You know, he's done all those nasty things to me. And it hurt me, the bastard. And around and around and around it goes in my head. And the longer I think about it, the worse he gets. He's just this guy. He's just picking on me, right? And the more innocent I get, I didn't do anything wrong, right? And I start praying that he gets hit by a bus. And then I start running it back through my mind. When he said that to me, I should have said that, you know, and we're going back. And people are identifying with this, right? And then I start, then I start planning for the future. Next time he criticises me, I'm going to point out what all his faults are and all that... And there it's going round and round and round in my head. And I'm lying awake at night thinking about that, that guy and he's at home sleeping and not thinking about me at all, right? But that's going around and round and round in my head and, uh, and I'm getting nowhere. And then in amongst that, in amongst that, I'm just thinking about that all the time, that resentment, this other thought pops into my head, well, I know how to get rid of this, this, this bad feeling, at least temporarily, I'll go and have a drink, right? And I've got no defence against that thought. And I go and pick up that drink, and actually, it might actually relieve, relieve me a little bit for one night, but I wake up the next morning and all my problems have had puppies. Right? It makes it because I've picked up that drink. I'm back on that cycle again. So I need to be able to get out of this cycle, and at this point, out of it long enough to learn something about myself. So, how do we do that? We turn back to the list, for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had power to actually kill. How could we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? We could not wish them away any more than alcohol. This was our course. We realised that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way these disturbed us, They, like ourselves, were sick too. We asked God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man, how can I be helpful to him? 
God save me from being angry, thy will be done. We avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. We cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. So it suggests we turn back to the list. This is our instruction, we turn back to the list. I'm going to try and take a different attitude to these people. And what, it suge- what is it suggesting that I do? I'm going to ask God something. How do we ask God something? Well, it's suggesting that I pray. So I go back through my list. At this point, I don't need to write anything down. I can put the pen down for the moment and I go back through the list one by one and I think about each person on the list. And I think about Mr Brown and I have that prayer. God save me from being angry. How can I be helpful to him? And I think about Mrs Jones. God save me from being angry. How can I be helpful to her? And I think about my employer and perhaps through gritted teeth reluctantly, God save me from being angry at the bastard. How can I be helpful to him? I do it anyway as a spiritual exercise. Right? And I think about my wife. God save me from being angry. How can I be helpful to her? Now this to me is a reminder that this is a spiritual exercise. It's a spiritual exercise. And this actually starts to, me, starts to shift our thinking. This is what the whole thing is about, is shifting my thinking. It's interesting, sometimes as we go through that second column and I write down the facts of what happened, you know, and I write it, write it down and I read it back, there it is in front of me in black and white, and just writing it down and reading it back, you know, I can see how ridiculous some of those resentments are and they just disappear just from that action on its own. Some of them are a bit tougher and it's when I say that prayer that, that those resentments start to lift. Some can be even tougher still and even saying that prayer in the fourth step isn't going to shift them entirely but that's why we need the rest of the house cleaning steps five, six, seven, eight, and 9 that, that, that can help us shift the really tough ones. But this is the starting point to shift my attitude, to try and take this spiritual attitude towards, uh, towards other people. So I ring up my sponsor and say, OK, I've, I've said a prayer for everyone on the list, now what do I do? Referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely look for our own mistakes. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking and frightened? Though a situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. So I suggest we go back to this list again. Now this time I'm going to look for something that I, I personally had never looked for before. I'm going to look for my mistakes. I was always quick to find someone else's mistakes and faults. But this time I'm going to look for my mistakes. Two things I'm looking for. My mistakes, what did I do or fail to do that contributed to this thing in the first place? And that my faults, which is sort of like the underlying defect of character. And once again, it's given us a bunch of key words to look for. Where have we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking and frightened? They're the four key words that I'm really looking for. So I go back through my list and one by one I look at each one. So Mr Brown, his attention to my wife, what's my mistake? Well, I've been neglecting my wife. And I give it one of those labels, I'm being selfish. Now, it could be that Mr Brown's not a nice person and he's trying to move in on the wife and that's what he shouldn't, maybe he shouldn't be doing those things, but I'm, not, I've got to, I'm trying to put that aside and work out what was my mistake. Well, I'm down the pub all the time getting drunk, so that's given him the opportunity. The fact that I'm not there, I've been neglecting my wife, has given him the opportunity. 
On the other hand, it could all be in the head that he's really not trying to do that. He's just a nice guy, occasionally has a cup of coffee with my wife because uh, she's lonely because I'm down the pub all the, way, all the time. But it doesn't matter about that part. What I'm looking for is my part. My part, I'm being selfish. Uh, I'm not paying any attention to my wife. He told my wife about my mistress. What's my mistake? Well, that one's really obvious. I was unfaithful. Give it a label, I was being dishonest. Brown may get my job at the office. Well, I was busy looking after myself rather than doing my job. So I'm being self-seeking. Mrs Jones, she's a nut, she's a nut. she snubbed me. Well, I was inconsiderate to her. You know, I'm, she's the next-door neighbour. I've come home one night, drunk, singing at the top of my voice, slammed the car door, woke up the neighbourhood. The next day I saw her on the street and waved at her. Hi, Mrs Jones. And she didn't wave back at me. The cow, you know. I'll have that resentment against her for weeks because she didn't wave at me in the street. But my, part, my mistake, my mistake, well, I was inconsiderate to her the night before. I was being selfish. She committed her husband for drinking and he's my friend. Now, what's that got to do with me? Surely that's between her and her husband. Well, I'm afraid that might happen to me. So it's my own fear of that happening to me that's causing that resentment. So I'm frightened. And she's a gossip. Well, maybe she's the neighbourhood gossip and she's telling tales around the place. You know, what's my mistake? Well, I've done things that I don't want other people to know about. If I hadn't have done those things I'm ashamed of, I wouldn't be worried about her gossiping about me. So I'm being dishonest. My employer, unreasonable, unjust, overbearing. Well, I was unreliable, being selfish. He threatened to fire me for drinking and padding my expense account. Another really obvious one, this one. Well, I was doing those things he was accusing me of. I was drinking on the job and stealing, being dishonest. My wife misunderstands and nags. I don't pay any attention to her being selfish and wants to put the house in her name, well, I put my job in jeopardy by drinking and stealing. So she's just looking after her own security there. Once again, I'm being, on, I'm, I'm being dishonest. And I go through my list one by one, looking at, this is, and for me, this is a whole new way of looking at the world, looking for my mistakes. Notice as we did this, the first thing we did is we created this first list. We didn't move on to the second column until we completed that first, that list of names, right? Once we got that list of names, we put them into the exercise book and, went down, and then went down the column and wrote down the cause for each one. And didn't move on to the third column until we'd finished that one. Once we'd done that, we went down the column and put down what part of me was affected. Then once we'd done that, we went down the column and said a prayer for each person. And then we went down the column and worked out what my mistake was. The reason I'm really emphasising this, you go down the column, down the column, down the column, is because A's, A's experience is that this is, is the best way of doing it. Sometimes people get stuck when they do this four-step. They get to one particularly really painful uh, uh, resentment and they're trying to go across the page and it's just too painful, either in the second column when I, when I think about what the other person did to me or in the fourth column when I realise what I've contributed to this and it just gets so painful. It's been found doing it this way, starting with my list and then going down the columns is, is a really uh, systematic way of getting all this information out. It's like unfolding a map. I've got to unfold it this way first before I can unfold it that way without tearing it, and then I can see the whole picture. So there's my, there's my resentment list, and I've started to learn something about myself. But wait, there's more. Notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties with Mr Brown, Mrs Jones, the employer, and the wife. His short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. 
But did not we ourselves set the ball rolling? Sometimes we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. It seemed to cause more trouble. We reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper, even though we had no resentment in connection with them. So the next thing it suggests we look at is our fears. Once again, it says it needs to go down on paper. That's the second time it says it's got to go down on paper. Although these days I know people can put it on a word processor. No, it's got to get out of here onto something I can read back to myself. Okay, so how am I going to approach this? Well, I'm going to need a list of fears. So it's, again, about making a list. Where am I going to get this list from? Well, I've already identified in my resentment list a whole lot of fears, so I can read back through that and pick those out. So there's fear here and here and here and here all the way through, and I can actually give those fears a name and put them on my fears list. So there's a fear that my wife will leave. There's a fear of being lonely if the wife leaves and I lose the mistress as well. There's a fear of failure. There's a fear that people will find out about the things that I've done. There's a fear of confrontation with my boss and probably other people on my resentment list. There's a fear of financial insecurity. Once I've got those down, I've got those, those, the seed of it from my resentment list and then, then I can think of there any other fears that I have that haven't come up in the previous list and I can add those to the end. I'll put down fear of meeting new people, fear of success for example. Now once again, this list is a personal list. For some people it's long and for other people it's short. But it's our own list. Right? And this to me, this whole fourth step is what tailors the rest of the housekeeping steps to specifically to me. The process of the steps is the same for everybody, but the details are different because we all have different lives. And this is what sets it up for me. I take this fourth step and it, and it tailors the rest of those steps specifically to me because talking, it's talking about my resentments, my fears you know, in particular. So I've got my list of fears. Ring my sponsor again. OK, I've got my list of fears. What do I do with that? We asked ourselves why we had them. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Self-reliance self was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. When it made us cocky, it was worse. So once we get, again, we're going to ask ourselves why we have these fears. This is very similar to the fourth column of the resentment list. I'm looking for my mistakes. What did I do to set the ball rolling with this fear? So uh, we can go through them one by one. Well, I've been neglecting my wife. Once again, I'm looking for my actions. What have I been doing or failing to do? My selfishness has screwed up relationships in the past. That's why I'm worried I'm going to end up with no one. I give up before the job is done. I've hurt people and stolen stuff. I don't stand up for my principles. I've been reckless. I have prejudices. I try to be self-reliant rather than trusting in my higher power. So once again, it's that looking at myself, looking at, looking at my own mistakes, my own actions, and then what do we do? Perhaps there is a better way. We think so. But we are now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God than our, than our finite selves. We're in the world to play the role he assigns. Just the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? We never apologise to anyone for depending upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it is the way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologise for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. 
We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. At once we commence to outgrow fear. It's a little promise there. This is the beginning of outgrowing fear. Not a little promise. It's a big promise, isn't mm-hmm. it? The instruction there is we're going to ask God something again. Right? So how do we ask God something? It's suggesting we're going to say a prayer. So I can actually go through this list and say that prayer. Now, the thing about this prayer, there's two parts. We ask God to remove the fear and to show us how he would have us be. It doesn't specifically say to write it down, but it's something I can think about and I could write down if I want to. You know, what would God, my God have me be? So I look at each one and say that prayer and look at the situation and say, well, my higher power wants me to be faithful, wants me to be loving, wants me to be hopeful, wants me to be honest, wants me to be courageous, wants me to be responsible, wants me to be compassionate, and wants me to be humble. Now this exercise can be a really uplifting exercise. I start to look into future, at the future in a different way. You know, that whole resentment list, resentments are all about the past. That's what resentment is. And I can learn something about myself and the way I've been living from looking at those. Right? Fear is about the future. Fear is what I'm worried is going to happen in the future. But I've just taken this third step. I've just taken this decision to try and live a spiritual life. Right? So now I can look forward. I can say, well, you know, if I'm now on this spiritual path, what sort of qualities, what sort of actions... Does my higher power want me to have in my life instead of the way I've been behaving in that, in that second column there? So it's this really uplifting exercise to, look, look, to be able to look to the future, not with fear, but with, with some faith and saying, this is what, what I want to be. This is the type of person that I and my higher power wants me to grow toward. Very uplifting exercise. So that's our fears, fears infantry, and th- but there's more. Now about sex. Many of us need an overhauling there, but above all, we try to be sensible on this question. It's so easy to get way off the track. Here we find human opinions running to extremes, absurd extremes perhaps. One set of voices cry that sex is the lust of our lower nature, a base necessity of procreation. Then we have the voices who cry for sex and more sex, who bewail the institution of marriage, who think that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. They think we do not have enough of it or that it isn't the right kind. They see its significance everywhere. One school would allow man no flavour for his fare and the other would have us all on a straight pepper diet. We want to stay out of this controversy. We do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. We all have sex problems. We'd hardly be human if we didn't. What can we do about them? We reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Where have we been selfish, dishonest or inconsiderate? Whom had we hurt? Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion or bitterness? Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? We got this all down on paper and looked at it. So the next thing it suggests we look at is our intimate relationships. Now we know that intimate relationships are are the source of some of the greatest joy in our lives, but when they go wrong, when they go bad, some of the greatest pain in our lives. So we can learn a lot about ourselves by looking at those things. And it suggests that we're going to review these things. But it also it point, goes to great lengths to point out that AA isn't the arbiter of this. AA isn't, isn't the judge of your sex life. No, this, this inventory is, is between me and a higher power and, and a piece of paper and I'm trying to apply my values, not AA's values or my sponsor's values or my mother's values or my priest's values, 
my values. But it does say it's a searching and fearless moral inventory. And to me, that word moral uh, suggests that I need to make some sort of assessment, some sort of judgment about my own behaviour based on my values, right? so I can learn something about myself. Not somebody else's values, my values. Once again, it says we got it down on paper. So you know, we need to get it down on paper. So what, what, I'm, what I'm going to need, I'm going to need a list of relationships. So once again, it's a list. Now, for some people, this is a very long list, and for other people, it's short. For some people, it's alarmingly long. For other people, it's disappointingly short. Anyway, it's our own list. It's our it's own his list. only joke. <laughs> It's our own personal list. <laughs> okay. So I'll put down first girlfriend, Barry's girlfriend, that fling in 1994, my wife. Should I put down Mrs. Jones? Oh. No. <laughs> uh, my mistress. Me okay, Mrs. so I've got, I've got my list. And what am I going to do with this list? Well, there's a bunch of questions. You know, who did I hurt? Did I arouse jealousy, suspicion or bitterness? Where was I selfish, dishonest or inconsiderate? Three key words I'm looking for in this one. Selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate. Where was I at fault and what should I have done instead? So once again, this is similar to that fourth column in the resentment part and, and, the, and, and the second column in the fears. I'm looking for my mistakes, what, my actions. Now, in relationships, there's obviously more than one person involved in it, other, more than one person making mistakes, but I'm looking for my mistakes. So I look at each one of them and say, look at that first, that first girlfriend. What caused all the big problems in that? What caused that breakup and all the arguments in that relationship? Well, I threatened to dump her if she didn't have sex more often. That was the big issue in that, in that relationship. I give it one of those labels. I was being selfish. One of the questions there, what should I have done instead? I can actually think about that and see what I could have done differently. Well, I should have respected her wishes. Barry's girlfriend flirted with her caused jealousy. Who else did I hurt? Hurt Barry as well. Um, I was, give it one of the labels, I was being inconsiderate. Uh, what could I have done instead? Well, I should have considered their relationship. That fling in 1994, I can't remember her name. Uh, I lied to her about my intentions, so I'm being dishonest. Now, why was I lying to her? Probably to get something out of the relationship. Who knows, if I had been honest, it might have happened anyway. So what could I have done instead? I should have been honest with her. My wife, now not all relationships end up badly and, and fail. Some of them might be fine. If I've got a relationship that's, that's fine, that's, that's what I write down. But this one, you know, it started out great, but ended up being inconsiderate and unfaithful. I caused suspicion and bitterness. I need to give it a label. Well, I was selfish and I was inconsiderate and I was dishonest. So I've got the trifecta with that one, all three labels. Once again, what could I have done instead? Should have spent more time with her, listened to her. I should have been faithful. The mistress, I lied to her about being married, so I'm being dishonest. Probably shouldn't have started that relationship. So once again, I'm looking to the past, looking at my actions to find out what I've been doing that's, that's causing the breakup of relationships and causing pain to other people. And now I want to look to the future again. In this way, we try to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. We subjected each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? We ask God to mould our ideals and help us to live up to them. We remembered always that our sex powers were God-given and therefore good, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised and loathed. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow toward it. 
we must be willing to make amends where we have done harm, provided that we do not bring about still more harm in so doing. In other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. In meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. The right answer will come if we want it. So I suggest, having looked at the past, I'm going to try and shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. And I can write this down. Right? And I can think about it and it suggests that I pray about it. I can look to the, once again, I'm trying to look to the future in a different way. So I can think, well, and if what goes down here can be quite, can be a bit different for different people, depending on your, you know, your values and your preferences and your particular circumstance at the time. Once again, AA isn't the arbiter of this. It's just up to each individual person to what goes down there. And we can be quite specific about what, what, how we want to be different in the future. I'm not going to be really specific in this example, but I can come up with sort of some general ideas about what, I, what my higher power wants me to bring either to repair broken relationships or into new relationships as they form in the future. So my higher power wants me to be honest because I can see all through that inventory how my dishonesty has hurt other people and broken those relationships. So he wants me to be honest, wants to be, me to be considerate of the other person or people in those relationships wants me to be dependable, wants me to be selfless, and above all, wants me to be loving. Right? Now this, this other uplifting exercise. As I said, what goes down here, the specifics could be different for different people. Say a, 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 a middle-aged married guy who wants to rekindle, you know, re, rebuild his marriage might put, be more specific about some things he might want to you know, look at in, 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 to, to rebuild that relationship. It could be a bit different from a young single woman who has some sort of short-term short ideas and then some longer ones as well, which could be different again to say a nun. There are nuns and priests in AA. A nun might just put down, continue with my celibacy, I'm doing a great job. <laughs> but it's, it's unique to each one of us, what we put on that list. But certainly I'm trying to now look, I've looked at the past and I'm looking to the future in a different way. This next little bit then is more about the future. Okay? Now I've just set all these really high standards for myself. This is the way... That, you know, I, that my higher power and I want to live. And we've got to realise that we're human and we may not always be able to live up to those. So there's some advice. God alone can judge our sex situation. Counsel with persons is often desirable, but we let God be the final judge. We realise that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. We avoid hysterical thinking or advice. Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Does this mean that we are going to get drunk? Some people tell us so, but this is only a half-truth. It depends on us and on our motives. If we are sorry for what we have done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven and will have learned our lesson. If we are not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we are quite sure to drink. We are not theorising these are facts out of our experience. To sum up about sex, we earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity and for the strength to do the right thing. If sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. We think of their needs and work for them. This takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious urge when to yield would mean heartache. That's the 12th step. You know, suggesting if this is a big problem, get on with it. Get on with the rest of this stuff through that, the rest of that process to get to the 12th step and then I can help, help start helping other people. It goes on. 
If we've been thorough about our personal inventory, we have written down a lot. We've listed and analysed our resentments. We've begun to comprehend their fertility and their fatality. We've commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We've begun to learn tolerance, patience and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, for we look on them as sick people. We have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can. So we've come a long way looking at those resentments and the fears and our intimate relationships. One last list, we've got a list of people we've hurt. Actually, when we get to eighth step, it says we have a list of people we've hurt. Uh, we made it when we took inventory. So I want to make sure we do have that list at this point. So simple list, who did I harm and what was the harm done? And I go, to find that, I can go back through my previous lists and pick out some names. So from my resentment list, I put down Mrs Jones. Uh, what was the harm done? Well, I was inconsiderate to her. My employer, I stole from him. My wife neglected her, made her worry about security. Notice I'm not going to put down Mr Brown on this list. When you look at what's happened here, I haven't actually done anything to hurt Mr Brown yet. Right? <laughs> I just want to point out that just because someone's on my resentment list doesn't automatically mean that they also go on that harm's done list. Right? There can be circumstances where that person's harmed me. I have that resentment I need to look at, but I haven't actually hurt them. I don't owe them any amends later on. Uh, I can look through my uh, fears list. That, um, some other names pop into mind. My sister-in-law I stole from. My first, uh, from my relationship list, lots of people. That first girlfriend, Barry's girlfriend, Barry, the girl from 1994 and the mistress. And then I can sort of think, is there any others I can add to the end that didn't come up in the previous list? That hotel I stole, uh, left without paying the bill. This one, my brother, I borrowed his watch without him knowing when I was seven years old and I broke his watch and I didn't own up it was me. It was his favourite watch. Now, when you think of one thing, you know, at, at one level, who really cares? It's all those years ago and it was a $15 watch. Who, does it really matter? But for some of us, that sort of thing, that little guilty secret we've kept on to for years and years can be something that's really, that's really eating at it. So this is an opportunity to own up to it at this point on paper. You know, uh, anyway, another one, my ex-work colleague blamed him for stealing stationery which got him fired. Now, that, you know, that one, not only if I, has he lost his job, but I've actually hurt his reputation. When it comes to making amends, I'm going to have to really think about what, how to approach that. But at this point, I'm just getting down the facts. So there's my, there's my harm's done list. So there we have it, our four lists. And uh, this is how the book sums it up. In this book, you read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you all from him. If you have already made a decision and an inventory of your grosser handicaps, you have made a good beginning. That being so, you have swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. So this is the beginning, but it is only a beginning. This is the beginning of this house cleaning, housekeeping process. Right? Uh, so I can remember actually having this, having completed my fourth step. I was in this rehab. I'd been trying to stop drinking for four and a, two and a half years and failed and failed in and out of detoxes, trying to get help, and I ended up in this place, and I started going to AA, and I was inspired to give this a go. And I, and, and I knew how powerless I was. I got some hope from AA. I made the decision to do something radical. Right? And the other five guys in the rehab all busted and were thrown out. I had nothing better to do than sit at the kitchen table in that rehab by myself. Actually, the, the management of it was, she'd done something wrong, was sent to Melbourne for retraining. Had nothing, the only reason I was able to stay there is because AA members told the management, yes, he's coming to AA and we think he's serious about this, 
So we'll help him, we'll take him to meetings, we'll look, keep our eye on him. And it was because AA members did that that I was able to stay in that rehab, just a little house, sort of dry house in Binnegar. And, and for you know, two and a half days I sat down and I, and I, and I wrote this stuff out. And it, was, you know, and it was an amazing experience to do. It was an amazing experience to do. The, the 12 and 12 talks this, about this being the first tangible evidence of our complete willingness to move on. You know, I, I remember having, having my exercise book in my hot little hands thinking, I've actually done it. I've done something that I don't want to do but I know that the, the program and my higher power was suggesting that I needed to do in order to move forward. So remember, this fourth step is a spiritual exercise. It's not an intellectual exercise, not a psychological exercise. I'm not trying to psychoanalyse myself. Right? I'm not qualified to do that. Right? But it's about being honest and it's about being fearless. Now, I'm not particularly honest and I'm not particularly fearless. I actually find out in detail how... how dishonest and full of fear I really am as I go through this process. That's why I need those first three steps and I need that commitment to actually go on with that and I need to be thorough. Now I can make a lot of mistakes with this, this. the spelling doesn't have to be right, I don't have to dot all the I's, you know, I don't have to use the right colour pen and rule it up exactly right, although I do know some people who have to do that, that's, okay. that's your thing, that's okay. Right? The really big mistake I can make with that is if I deliberately leave something out. Something that comes to, comes to mind, some fear, some resentment, some harm I've done to someone else and I think that's the one I'll leave out. That's the one that's likely to trip me up in the future. So I need to be thorough and I need to keep it simple. I like, love this way of, of, of doing it out of the book. It's, a, it's about making a list and saying a prayer and looking at myself. Making a list, saying a prayer and looking at myself. Sometimes you know, as sponsors it can be a temptation to actually put a whole lot of other stuff in there and add other stuff. And maybe that's fine if I'm doing... You know, if I'm doing an inventory, I've been sober for a while I'm, and I'm doing another inf inventory later on. But this, this, this first inventory, the big one, the, the one that starts to bring about this change, I needed to keep it simple. You know? uh, I, I think someone talked about you know, trying to write their inventory like uh, writing a life story. And I know some people have done it that way and have got good results from that. But you know, I like this way. It's a simple way of doing it. I don't think I could write a novel about myself, but I can make a list. Thanks for letting me share Information about the annual Melbourne AA Steps Weekend is available from www.stepsweekend.aagroup.org.au Thanks for letting us share.